If you would, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I will be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one Spirit. And Father, I pray that in these next 50, 60 minutes, we drink deeply of this one Spirit, who has spoken through the Apostle Paul. Help me unfold the text before us and its implications for us and thus make us better and more humble lovers of others to the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. To become a Christian brings with it becoming part of a community called the church, which means you interact with other persons. And therefore, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are operating in the community towards one another for that common good. I want to start this morning with verse 7 in 1 Corinthians 12. Okay? Because what we're going to see in verse 7 is the main point of this chapter. When we start to see these gifts that Paul lists off, they are there to give an instance of, for the main point, 
which is for the community's good. You there, verse 7? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Notice he says first, to each. Not just to one or to some, but to each person in the body, in the church. Meaning, if you are born again, if you have saving faith in Christ, then you are one of the each. Or to say it in the, in the text, if you look at verse 3, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be an actor. What's my line? You play the part. Or even come down an aisle in a church and say, yes, I'm going to confess that. doesn't mean you can't do this. Not his point. Paul's not an idiot. When you're alone, no one's around, you're happy, or you're sad, or you're crying, and you're praying, and with a basic understanding of the gospel of Jesus, and you know you cry from your heart, Jesus, you're my Lord. That's it. So if that's you, you're one of the each in the text. Secondly, in verse 7, notice the word spirit. To each is given the manifestation of the, means the Holy Spirit. To each, God, the Holy Spirit, manifests Himself. Remember how the Bible starts? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Paul says, that Spirit is endeavoring to manifest Himself through each and every Christian for the good of other Christians around Him. And look at verse 11 where he summarizes this. All these manifestations are empowered by the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He, the Holy Spirit, wills. Okay, now what's He talking about? Look at verse 4. So we've talked about, the, about these manifestations. Now there are varieties of gifts. Many differing shades of colors of gifts. And there are varieties, all kinds of differing service. But the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities or functionings for people. Varieties of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So Paul says, look around the church. Look around in your local church as a whole. Look around in Christians in local churches throughout the world. And you notice that Christianity is not a cookie-cutter religion. It doesn't form everyone to look exactly the same and we're supposed to act a particular way. But by definition, there is diversity. God seems to have formed each person uniquely, starting from the womb, from the family of origin. 
whether you like that family of origin or don't like it. He has formed each person through the pain that you have experienced has brought you to a place in your life now. Through your DNA, your innate dispositions, people are different. Everyone has differing gifts. And even if it's the same gift, differing ways it's used. Differing effectiveness. He says, do you see the diversity? in the body of Christ, of these sinners God is saving. He says, don't get proud or discouraged. Don't look down on others or look up to others. The Holy Spirit's doing something. Every member of the body has a part. Isn't that what He's going to go to argue? The eye cannot say... To the ear, I have no need of you. Or the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. There's only one body. And the body doesn't work unless there is great diversity. Personalities and giftings and inclinations. And that's why he says all of these are empowered by one and the same Holy Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills notice again now in verse 7 the word manifestation to each is given the manifestation of the spirit now manifestation is a big word for showing revealing to each one is given a showing a revealing of god himself the holy spirit through that person. In, in, a, in other words, Paul is saying, body of Christ, doing church life. What's going on here is the Holy Spirit is manifesting, showing, he, He's doing this, He's saying this, through you, to others, I'm here. I'm here. Through His showing, in the way that another ministered to you, but by, by the Holy Spirit's work. To each one is given the showing of the Holy Spirit. That is, the experience of the Holy Spirit revealing Himself through you, to you, by others. For example, Someone in a woman's prayer group. You might not even know them very well at all. You know what you're going through. And for some reason, that person just, I can't shake it. Can I just pray for you, please? And they don't know anything you're going through. And they begin to pray. And they don't know why. They didn't study for it. You just knew that they had this burden and words from their heart started to flow out about what to pray. And you were stunned. You were stunned at the revealing of the Holy Spirit's love for you, knowing they couldn't have prayed that unless the Holy Spirit laid that on their heart. 
Or if you're like me, 19, no, 20 year old kid who in the last 12 months, without church for a long time, didn't know what's happening, but Jesus grabbed a hold of, and you have a bad trip on acid, and you're going through five or six months of horrid flashbacks and can't control your mind. And He finally places you into a body and you're in your, for the first six weeks. For some reason, some guy, a visiting preacher, comes and he doesn't know you from Adam. You've never mentioned the word flashback to another human being. And he stands up and he starts to say, I really got something I think I'm supposed to say to you. And gives me scripture. And then says the words. No more flashbacks for Joe. And then has a whole congregation say it three times. And a 20 year old kid is stunned. At one thing. God you know about that. And you love me. And you're going to deal with that issue in my life. The Holy Spirit. Is showing. Now the other thing that the word manifestation shows us is this. Church life. Not church organization, which is needful, but not church structure. Not bureaucracy of church. And let me, oh, you're a Christian? Good. We got a program and let's just program everything. But church life which is lived in community. Which means it's lived in a community with pain and struggles and joys and bearing with one another and putting up with one another. I wonder why the Holy Spirit has that all over the New Testament. Crying with one another praying for one another, evangelizing with one another, studying with one another. And according to Paul, he says this church life is lived by the Spirit. As if the Spirit is electricity flowing from member to member and back and forth through the body. The Holy Spirit's operations helping us serve Love, encourage one another. Fourth thing to see in verse 7. I'm going to just form it this way. Just ask the question and then see the answer. Why does He do this? Why these giftings, these operations of words or service and on and on in the body for the common good? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Whatever giftings Christian people find in themselves, it is not for boasting. The purpose, ultimate purpose for the common good is twofold. And we see it in this First, it is for this purpose, that God may glorify Himself. That's why He says it that way. The manifestations, the showings. God desires to show Himself 
through people in the body of Christ to other people. And you know that's a large biblical theme. Hopefully you get that if you've been at this church for a while. That that is the major, ultimate biblical theme running from Genesis to Revelation. That God is out to glorify Himself. And the second thing we see about that, it's not really an and, it just, it's connected to it. He desires to glorify Himself in the church, in the body of Christ, by using each individual member of the body through whom He shows Himself to others through giftings. God's purpose to glorify Himself by causing the church, by causing us together and as individuals daily drawing close to Him and finding our joy in Him is so that as we find our joy in Him, we'll turn that on others and we'll find ourselves being enabled by God Himself the Holy Spirit, in stronger ways to bring others into that joy in God. And here in 1 Corinthians, he just gives us some specifics about that, calling it abilities, gifts, talents that he dispenses to each one for the service of others. And thus we are to be a people who are looking to constantly do good for others. Through these giftings, through these abilities, through the stuff that God has given us and molded us with and or just drops in us. And therefore, the Christian life is a life of constantly drawing near to God to feed upon His Word in order that He continually burn out our selfishness. So that we're more of a conduit to use our gifts for good and not for ill. And so as we see those gifts, as we draw near to God, we say, God, use me. And then you will not merely be functioning in your abilities, whether you call them natural or supernatural, your, your, your giftings, your learnedness that causes you to be helpful. You won't just be functioning and doing those as you cry out to God to work through you. You will be doing them based upon the strength that God supplies. And thus, those abilities will then be spiritual giftings and not merely natural giftings. When you're feeding a hungry person a sandwich, the spiritual gift of mercy or helpfulness there doesn't just see the sandwich as an end. What makes it spiritual is, yes, I see that need. I know what it's like to be hungry. Eat the sandwich, but for the ultimate purpose of the glory of God in their Seeing the light. Whether they're already a Christian or not, that they would come and find the joy that's bringing you the joy that causes you to give the sandwich. Or if you're teaching, it's not merely teaching, you got the information, I gave it to you, terrific. That's not a spiritual gift. The spiritual gift is for the desire in the teaching that the hearers would be caught up into the very joy of God, the Holy Spirit, through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can just go down the line with every. Gift. 
When you turn for a moment and see this, what I'm saying, in 1 Peter chapter 4. If it gets too cold, what you do, switch that clicker off at the top, go shoom. Got it? Okay. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 to 11. Peter here puts these spiritual gifts, this twofold thing that's happening this way. He says, There are giftings, there are abilities. You all have them. And then he says, This is how you use them. Start with verse 10 of chapter 4. As each, there it is again, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied, manifold grace. Oh, it comes in all kinds of shades and colors and forms. He gives examples. Now, listen, whoever speaks, there's all kinds of different speaking gifts. Whoever speaks, and that's a gifting, do so as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, all kinds of serving gifts, do so as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? Why is that important? Why not just do it? In order that, that's why. Here's the purpose. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ and not you. Oh, yeah, I added the not you. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. We are called to rely desperately upon God's strength in order to perform our gift of hospitality. Our gift of teaching. Our gifts of praying for another person. A gift to speak to someone who is downtrodden. Whatever those gifts are. To rely vertically on God's strength. Because all those gifts are there. They're meant for the purpose of glorifying God in the meeting of the needs of others. Okay, having said that now, let's go to the gifts for a minute. In the New Testament, there are four lists, and that's it. Other than outside of the one I just read here of 1 Peter 4, because Peter really doesn't give any specific gifts. He gives two large categories. Category of these speaking gifts, category of these non-speaking gifts, or service gifts. And you may have all co- numbers of gifts, okay, that's... Fluid, but he gives two large categories. So, other than that, there are four lists, and I'm going to give you every gift and the way they're listed in the next 60 seconds. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, the gifts are apostle, prophet, teacher, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administration, tongues. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10. The word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. In Ephesians 4, verse 11, 
apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And in Romans 12, 6-8, prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing financially, leadership, mercy. And what we learn, and there's the list, and that's what he gives us. This is what I think we're supposed to learn from it. These lists are not concrete. Like, okay, there you go. There's the gifts. Holy Spirit's got 20 gifts to give, and that's it. I don't think that's the point. I think we, we get what we get. In God's sovereign providence, as the Apostle Paul is writing and spur of the moment or giving examples at times, and we get this list. But it's not what you would call all the gifts that may be available. There are manifold graces of God and nuances of God. And even as Paul himself said in chapter 12, varieties of, in varieties of, in varieties of, even what you think is the same category, in varieties of that category. And what we see in the list is that all of the lists, in all of them, they're different lists. There is no one gift that is in all four of those lists, except for prophecy. And there is no one list of these four that lists all the gifts. And so I I derive from that this major point. These giftings listed in the New Testament are not exhaustive. There are a myriad of other ways. And you can give English names, since we speak English here, or Spanish, if that's your language, or whatever you're doing, to label things as you see the Holy Spirit operate through. There are manifold grace, as Peter says. And so if we just, let me just take a couple of examples. You take the word mercy. That's listed as a gift. Some people are gifted with the gift of of mercy. You think, okay, what does that mean? Does that mean just I feel pity and bad for you? I think it it, it, it has a, but it's not just that. It's that I feel bad for you and they show mercy. They do merciful things and there's a special gift to that person to meet needs. What about people that there's really no material, anything to do to meet the need? They're just lonely or hurting. What if a person has a gift that I don't see labeled in the New Testament here called empathy? They just somehow, they really easily empathize, find themselves to take themselves, what did it be like, oh, so-and-so's going through, and feel it with them, and, and that gift draws them to the person to ask questions, to just be there, to spend time with them listening. I mean, is that not a spiritual gift? Even though I can't find it listed here. I think it is. See, we can just keep on going. And we can get all bored. I think I can write a bunch of differing English words for differing gifts that we don't find listed here. And they're gifts of the Spirit nonetheless. And on the other hand, when you see 
some of these on the list. What does that mean? Gift of evangelism. And you go, okay, Billy Graham, evangelist. I guess that's what a gift of evangelism is. Therefore, I don't have that gift. I don't think that's necessarily true either. There are varieties of nuances of these gifts. Because Billy Graham and God use him in a special kind of a way. There are lots of people who wouldn't be caught dead in front of a large crowd evangelizing. Much less 30 people evangelizing. But they, they have a gift. They have a knack for kicking down doors with people in a gracious way to get the gospel in there. Where lots of us don't. And so they're just waiting for doors to open. And they, God uses them that way. They have a gift of evangelizing. So you see, it's not like, look at that. I'm not like him. I must not have that gift. You might. Or teaching. There's one of the gifts listed. Are all teachers? Well, in one sense, they're certainly not. But he says teaching. Well, lots of people have the gift. It doesn't mean, well, it doesn't matter. Teacher's a teacher's a teacher's a teacher. Every gift's the same. It's not the same at all. Each teacher's a different person. God uses them in different ways. Sometimes you listen to teachers and you say, I can't stand that teacher. You've got a fellow Christian. Boy, that person. God really uses that person. I mean, so and the nuances, the strength of teaching power, differing levels. On it, we can go through all the gifts and show the differing varieties, even of one gift, and how God the Holy Spirit uses it. Back in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter says, As each has received a gift, use it, to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. They know what he's talking about. A steward was a slave. A steward was the slave who was in charge of all of his master's household. He was in charge of writing out paychecks, Paying bills, all the money, everything that's happening in the household, all the slaves are. He's in charge. He is the steward over all of the master stuff and to deal with that rightly. And Peter says to us, the church, is God has made you a steward over differing abilities and giftings that you have. Disperse them. Use them. Don't hoard them. Don't keep God's varied grace locked up just inside of you where they don't affect other people. Okay? That's what he says. Let's consider four things now about gifts. First, it seems as though the gifts, abilities that the Holy Spirit gives are not static. It seems as though they could grow. They can be developed. They're not like a, a hammer. I mean, a hammer never grows. It doesn't become anything other than whatever shape that hammer is that you bought from Home Depot. Just a hammer. But these gifts, it's not like, well, I got a hammer and there's that gift. It, it's as if it's detached from this ability to be developed and become stronger or used in different ways. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 12, verse 6. 
having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in use it, use it this way, in proportion to your faith. Proportion. Proportion seems to be greater or smaller. But Paul's he's saying something like, when you see someone else, oh, they got a gift of prophecy. I got a gift of prophecy. You see the way that that works in the other person so strongly? He's saying, don't say, I got to be like them. Do it in proportion to your faith. Be you, the very unique God molded you. Use your gifts in proportion to where you're at right now. He says to Timothy, for instance, Timothy, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Why fan it into flame? Because flames can be small. You fan it, the flame gets bigger. Paul's saying this gifting can be used in greater ways if you pay attention to it. And if it's used in greater ways, Timothy... You will be more helpful to people. So fan it in flame. Pray about it. Go towards God about it. Don't let it diminish. Let it be used in greater portions. So that's the first thing. Gifts may develop. They may grow. Second consideration. How strong does a particular gifting need to be in order for you to say, I have that gift. Okay, This is what, this is what I'm getting at. For instance, Paul lists as one of the gifts evangelism. So, and in chapter 12, when he does that, are all evangelists? Implied answer is no. Oh, so everyone doesn't have the gift of evangelism. Okay, that seems to be clear. Yet, everyone, every believer, is called to be ready to give a defense for the hope that's in them. And then when that family member or friend at work asks you some questions about your hope, about Christianity, and you start talking, you're evangelizing. So everyone, in a sense, got to get this, is called to evangelize, but everyone doesn't have the gift of evangelism. Are you following me here? That's why I'm asking the question. At what point is it? do we kind of look at ourselves and say, I, I, I have a gift? Or if you take teaching, Paul says, are all teachers? Answer, no. But every person teaches, I hope, unless they're a hermit. Someone asks you at work anything about Christ, and you give any answer. Maybe a bad teacher. We're a good teacher, but you're teaching. How do you have children without teaching them? Bible. In other words, how do you do anything without explaining it? That's what teaching is. It's explanation. So, but do all, are they all teachers? They're not, but all are teaching. So how do we know? Well, about teachers, for instance, though, Paul therefore seems to be saying in 1 Corinthians 12, are all teachers? Obviously not. Therefore, in the context of church life, he seems to be saying there are particular types of strengths of gifting in the ability to explain things, which means other people go, wow, oh, that's helpful. Thank you. 
And so as people struggle, what am I? This is just one example. Am, am I a teacher? Am I called to ministry? Well, seminary doesn't give a person the gift of teaching. I think seminary is really important. It develops it. It gives foundation to it. You may have a gift to explain, but you don't know how to get to the truth, the content, what are you going to explain? Okay. So, so, but it, gifting of God is, in most all of these, are found out by living in the community of the church. After a while, you start to realize I'm a Christian, and a couple of years in, and you, you love truth, and you talk one-on-one with someone, and it's like, wow, they really seem to be helped. And that you know that. Or you're in small groups, and you're talking to people, and they ask you questions of things you learn, and, and you, it comes out your mouth, and it's not totally confusing, and it's like, they were really helped there. And it starts to develop. You start to think, maybe that's it. And, and you move on, and you find it, maybe I have that gift, and it works out in classrooms. And for many of us, it ends up being in a pulpit as, as a preaching, teaching pastor. And then on the other hand, I've experienced in 30 years, people, oh, I'm called to the, to the ministry. Okay, but let the community kind of see things. And sometimes with, with these people, it's like, they really got this idea that I really want to teach that, but every time they open their mouth, people are more confused. Just, and so, so community starts to give a mirror if we look at mirrors of, is that me, is that not? Okay. So, back to the question. How do we know whether we can call something a gift in that sense, because you know, we're supposed to all be teaching? We're supposed to all show mercy, you know that, right? Even though there's a gift of mercy... We're supposed to all be helpful, right? Even though there's a gift of help, strength, where people say, that's just my life. I just, this is it. I love it. Some of us say, oh, that's right. I'm supposed to do that. Okay, all right. Okay. There's a gift of evangelism. We're all supposed to be evangelizing. There's a gift of faith. Well, you know what? You're supposed to live by faith. But there's a gift of faith, according to Paul. There's a gift of serving. We know we're all called to serve, though. There's a gift of encouraging. We ought to all endeavor to be more encouraging to others. There's a gift of contributing financially, Paul says. A special gift. but It's Christianity. Okay, Got the idea? So in other words, we're all called to pursue the basic idea of most of these gifts and this is how you don't live then. And it may be true. There are people with a special gift of mercy. I don't have it. <laughs> Okay, they laughed. But you don't live this way. Oh, mercy. Feel for your plight and you need... Oh, with a gift mix of helps. I don't have the gift of helps and the gift of mercy. Your car broke down. You need me to drive you home from church? Find someone else. (laughs) That's not what this means. I'm not a teacher. Therefore, I don't have to explain anything to anybody ever. It's not what it means. Go to the Sovereign Grace Fellowship Evangelism table sometime on a Saturday. Thank you, no. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Oh, giving of finances to the gospel? Paul said there's a gift of that. So I will leave it to other people with that gift to turn the lights on in the local church. To pay for buildings pay for salaries. I will eat there, but other people have the gift to cause that to work. Because here's how logic goes. There's a special gift of contribution. I mean, there is, and Paul says it in chapter 12. 
Therefore, I will refuse to live the Christian life. You show mercy because there's a gift of mercy. Refuse to live the Christian life of the biblical principle, the first fruits of one-tenth of my income. And the point is, no, that's not what Paul is saying. Money is at the core of where one's heart is. Paul says there are people who have a special God-given Holy Spirit operation of mercy. Show mercy, be a Christian. Of teaching. Yeah, but teach, explain things, help other people, help your children. Of contribution. There are people you have no idea. Living in this country right now, ten thousands of people with a gift of giving financially. I mean, not just to their local church, but above and beyond their normal Christian 10%, you would be amazed at the percentage of income that they give. And it is a God-given Holy Spirit gift. Okay, gifts. How do you know? That's what you wrestle with. Where's my real strong mercy? Okay, you, 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 you okay, got that. But we're all called to do most of these type of things in different ways, though we might not have the gift when it comes to the way that Paul is talking about special gifts. Third consideration are spiritual gifts miraculous or non miraculous? It depends on how you define miracle. Okay. If we define miracle to mean something like this, God causing something to happen in the world and or through us, gifting to other people, well then everything is a miracle in that sense. So, He's sovereign. Okay. So that's unhelpful. So let me define miracle this way. Operations are things that happen that we cannot scientifically, I mean, with, with the material world and time and human relations, understand, excuse me, cause to effect. Oh, that explains how that happened. Cue ball, hit eight ball in the pocket. I can see that, I can explain that to you. That would be a non-miracle in that sense. The other way would say, there's, I can't, we can't just see A plus B equals C in the natural realm. That's how I would define Miracle. Uh, for instance, in healing, here's two different ones. Non-miraculous. A surgeon cuts open the foot of a broken bone, sets the bone, puts the pin in the bone, sews it back up, casts it, and eventually that foot is healed. It's non-miraculous in this sense. You can, you can explain how it's happening scientifically, how we do that. Miraculous. Peter and John at the gate beautiful in the temple. A man's legs have never worked. He's never walked. We don't have any money, but what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he is instantly healed. And he walks and he leaps and he praises God. You cannot scientifically say, we know how that happened like we did with the surgeon. No, it was from outside of the scientific material okay, realm. God so, in that sense, I would say, in Paul's list, the miraculous would be something like the gifts of healings, working of miracles, prophecy, 
tongues, particularly if, if someone's speaking in tongues, meaning they do not, they have not learned, cause effect here, right? Have not learned a language, but it just that flows out of them as they open up their mouth, and that, that if that language is a language that is a known language in the world that someone else who has learned it, says, I, I understand what you just said in that language, I would think that would be a miracle, if, 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 if that's what happens. Okay. Uh, interpretation of tongues. Okay. Miraculous. Non-miraculous would be what I'm doing now, teaching, serving, the ministry of helps, administration. So let me just give you, just take two word gifts and get an illustration of, from each category of miraculous to non-miraculous. The gift of prophecy and the gift of teaching. In the gift of teaching, which I would call non-miraculous, as Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, study to show yourself approved. See, you can see cause effect. He's studying, he's getting understanding, he's thinking, and cause effect, well, in first grade, you learn to read. That's part of it. I mean, you're not going to have much to teach if you can't read, probably. So, cause effect, you learn to read, and reading developed, and then maybe you got even older, you realize, I've got to even learn to read better. Okay? Clearer, more slowly, to get understanding first, so that I can take the understanding to my mind, and then, with the gift of teaching, explain it to others. Okay. That has cause effect. A teacher studies, thinks through, how am I going to say it, develops it, can I say it better, and then delivers it. Okay, got the idea? We could look at stuff, cause and effect, and say schooling has helped, life experience has helped. All have a, a play in right now what I'm doing in teaching. Okay. Prophecy, and I'm going to get there more next week, so I'm just going to assume some things at this point and not take time to explain them. You're sitting there. You haven't studied. Someone walks in the room. You don't even know them. And for some reason, you just keep feeling for 35 minutes at your woman's group that okay, I, I can't leave without some reason. Can I pray for you? And you pray for them. Find out two weeks later that person tells you, you have no idea what God did in my life. Just listening to you pray for me and how He cared for me. Okay, you didn't study. I, can't, I don't have any cause and effect for that. It's just kind of like, whoop. Dropped into you. Difference. Okay? Fourth consideration about gifts is don't confuse giftings with maturity, with spirituality. They're not the same. A person can have an extraordinarily deep, powerful gift of teaching or preaching. And it can have been developed over years. And with the walk of Christ. And you won't even know it. That gift will go on for the next two years at a point. And the teaching will be good. And it will be powerful. And this, this has happened a lot in the church. And you will look back and then find out that for those last two years while that gift was operating that strongly, that man was in constant, unrepentant rebellion against God in the breaking of his covenant of marriage. But the gift is there. On the other hand, you can have new Christians. They don't have any maturity in Christianity. And extraordinary gifts can just pop out out of them. Giftings are no sign of true, repentant, walking with Christ. 
gifts, as we have seen now from the beginning, we're coming back full circle. They're there for the common good of the Christian community first and then the world second. Gifts are tools. They're tools of love. Love is a fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit. So, for example, you can pull a hammer out of your toolbox and you can build something with it. Or you could tear down a kitchen with it. And teaching can do that. It's a gift. It's a tool. And you could tear people down with it because you're good with your tongue. Or you can build people up with it. Christians who want to pursue love yearn to use their toolbox for the sake of loving others. Just for instance, listen to what Paul said. He's never been to Rome in the Roman church and he wants to go and he's looking forward to getting to Rome to minister to fellow Christians where the church has already been planted in Rome. And he writes this at the beginning of his letter to the Romans. Quote, Always in my prayer asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Why? Because I long to see you so that I, Paul, you ever think this way? That I may impart to you some spiritual gift. Now he doesn't mean, I'll lay hands on it and you'll get a gift here. He means that of my gifts, they'll be useful to you in order to strengthen you. Oh, and that is that we may Both be mutually encouraged. Paul was receptive of other people's gifts to encourage him. They are tools. Gifts are not proof of a repentant, spirit-filled walk with Christ necessarily. Now, how do you find your gifts? Let me just... I know it's going to be done. But... Let me. One thing I think is not the key to finding gifts. It has become somewhat kind of popular, but I'm, I have an opinion here. I don't think the main thing I got to find my gifts is therefore I'm going to go out and take a psychological. Well, we're Christians, so then we spiritualize the psychological gift mix test. Oh, look at that! I came out as prophecy or mercy. Okay, I got my gifts, and let me do. I'm not. I just don't think that's the main way. I mean, it's hard for me to believe in the first century that when Paul's writing that they don't know what he's talking about and they kind of figured out what their gifts are in community when they didn't take psychological gift mixed tests. And we might be missing the main point. So here's my proposal on to the extent that it's even important to even label yourself, which is not really that important for most of the gifts. If you've got gifts that lead one to an office in the church, then it becomes kind of important. But... For the most part, here's my proposal. How do I know? Where can I operate? Because if, to the extent it is good to know gifts, is I can, oh, I can focus a little bit more and therefore be more helpful in that area. Here's my proposal to find your gifts. Be a Christian every day. Pursue being filled with the Holy Spirit that you would therefore love other people. Be passionate to be used first because of your vertical relationship and overflow with other God today. Do that every day and then go to work. And then get on the phone. And then come to church 
Raise your kids. Read and then pray the prayer chain. Just in other words, whatever it is, go about obeying God in the main command to love others. And as you do, you will find, wow, I really seem to thrive in that way. I never really saw that until I've been really trying to pursue affecting other people with my Christian life in the church, outside the church. It's amazing how wisdom comes for me to help people in practical areas. And you start to say, I've got a gift of, 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 of giving people wisdom in practical areas. And then maybe you pray about that and cultivate that. Or you start to realize, boys, I'm seeking, i I got this antenna up. This seems to see where people are hurting. Other people might not see that. I go to them. I get that gift of going to those that, 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 that this antennae that the Spirit gives me says, go and ask them, how are you? And then they start to slowly, and I give an hour of my time. And you start to, re- whoa. And I hardly said anything. A little feedback, and I was really listening. I got a gift of listening. You know, there's a mixed gift there, right? And then you find out three weeks later that person calls you. Or tells you. And you hardly said a word. You listened. You have no idea what God did in my life. Because you listened to me. You may have a gift. And then so you cultivate it. Think about how to better use it. Because there might not be a lot of people with that gift around you. So the body of Christ needs you. You can go on and on. Here's the point. Our main problem as Christians is not that we can't pigeonhole what gifts I have or don't have. Our main problem is that we don't desire to love other people enough. And thus be Holy Spirit conduits for their benefit, their encouragement, their walk with the Lord. I could prove that to you with an illustration. Some of you know this illustration. I've used it before. I'll just prove it to you. Do a test. Okay, but don't, don't actually do the first one. But do a test. For the next 21 days, purposefully, don't set your alarm clock until the very last moment where it gives you enough time to shut it off, rush out of bed, into the shower, dress, grab food in your hand while you're walking out the door, and then jump in the car and start eating and rush to work or homeschooling or school. Whatever you do, do not give yourself time to be with God. Do not give yourself time to be filled with Him and to pray, use me. Just rush there. Rush home. And everything you do, make sure your schedule is jam-packed with other things that you cannot spend time with God. Do that every day for 21 days. Do it every Sunday morning. Do not come to church prayed up. Do not spend time with God before you come into the place where you think, oh, you're freeing me now. Would you, would you use me for the sake of others? Do that for 21 days. And then jot down how often God the Holy Spirit used you to minister to or to bless another person with your personality, your gifting. Okay, then when that's over, for the next 21 days or three weeks, do the opposite. Set the alarm clock an extra hour early that when all that's done, you have an hour to spend with God. And then, towards the end of your prayer, okay, I'm God, now, 
horizontally. Help me see. Help me use. Give me desire to bless others. Do that for 21 days. Do it on Sunday morning. Do it before home. Just do that and jot down how many times God actually used you by the Spirit to minister to others. Do you think those lists will be the same? Here's my proof. Love is the key. Wanting to overflow in love. Not whether I have the gifts or not. I don't care at the moment and you'll find gifts. But it is look to love others by first being filled up with God. The question about gifts of the Spirit to all of us is this. Are you a vacuum only? Or are you also a blower like the gardeners? Where you want to blow, you want to dispense the varied graces and gifts of God for the sake of others. When you're a blower, the Holy Spirit will use you. As you come, I'm going to close by reading 1 Peter chapter 4 again, starting with verse 7. And try not to comment. Just let the Holy Spirit take everything that was said right now in this sermon and just come to fruition in the words of the Bible right here in chapter 4, verse 7 of 1 Peter. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And above all, above everything, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And as each person has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let those words sit on you as the Holy Spirit who is very present in our midst. And as we sing and prepare our hearts, we are going to celebrate the communion this morning. Receive the cup and receive the bread and hold them and we will pray over them.